be back in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen? Amen. And I was so, so bummed. My family and I were so bummed to miss out on the incredible worship service that took place outside the walls last week. For those of you who are maybe brand new here, weren't here last week, uh, we held our annual church outside the walls service over at Champion Park. And from all the pictures, all the feedback I received, it was an incredible time. I heard of new people getting connected and familiar people going deeper in relationship. And I just want to say a huge thank you to our church family, those of you who showed up, those of you who served. Would y'all put your hands together for yourselves? Oh, come on. You can do better than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So incredible. I also want to give a quick shout out to Pastor Daniel who gave just an incredible gospel-focused message. And what a perfect way to end that kingdom culture series, right? By having the gospel boldly proclaimed and echoing literally through our neighborhoods. So huge shout out to Pastor Daniel as well this morning. Yeah, you can put your hands together for Pastor Daniel too. Well, I'm excited, church, because this morning I have the privilege of kicking off a brand new sermon series on a brand new topic for us here at Awaken Church. As you can see, it's the topic of generosity. I know you're probably thinking, well, we talk about giving every week in our giving moment, and, and you're right, but in our five years of gathering together as a church, we actually have never done a series on generosity. And if I'm being honest with you, church, I used to take some pride in that. I used to think that, hey, if we just keep talking about Jesus, then our people, we're just going to naturally become more generous. But what I've come to realize is that pride was actually the problem. Let me explain to you what I mean. If you, if you look at God's word, there are over 2,500 references to money and material possessions. 2,500. For sake of reference, that's more than prayer and faith combined. And to be honest, it's not even close. God's word talks about money so much. Even Jesus, he talks extensively about money. And yet in my pride, I thought we can just maybe kind of skirt around the topic instead of directly addressing it. So listen, I know this is a very weird way to kick off a sermon series, but I, I just want to start by saying I'm sorry. I'm genuinely sorry because I know that my pride in some way has kept me from shepherding you well in this area. But I thank God that he's revealed that to me. And, and family, I want to I make it up to you over these next few weeks and in the weeks to follow. And I want to start by just revealing just a simple biblical truth for you here this morning. I know we all come to this topic with, with different backgrounds. Some of us maybe grew up in church and have had different experiences. But I want you just to rest in this simple truth this morning. That generosity is not about what God wants from you, it's about what he wants for you. Generosity is not about what God wants from you, it's about what he wants for you. Now, why do I need to say that? Well, because we live in a transactional culture, don't we? And so, so naturally, we come to see our relationship with God as sort of this give and take. Yeah, you may not say it this way, right? But you, you show up to church thinking that, okay, if I show up every Sunday, well, then God in return is going to bless me somehow. I don't know how many of you would raise your hand if I asked you to admit that, but somewhere in the back of our minds, we get this idea, don't we? Or if we, if we give freely of our tithes and offerings, then we should in, in turn be able to expect some sort of health or wealth, Right? Again, I'm not going to ask you to admit that, but I think there's a part of us that has come to believe that because of this transactional culture that we are a part of. But here's the thing I need you to understand, church, is that God is not a God of transaction. 
He is a God of transformation. God is not a God of transaction. He is a God of transformation. So no matter what any like televangelist may tell you, God does not need a single thing from you. God does not need a single thing from you. Everything in this world is created about what he wants for you. And when we come to understand this simple truth, when we come to truly understand and know the generous heart of our Heavenly Father, well, that's when we can begin to understand this abundant life that He has called us to live. Family, I'm passionate about this because I think this is the key to unlocking so much for us. It's a key that we've been holding tight with a firm, firm grip. My goal for this series is not to, not to tee off a capital campaign. It's not to guilt you into giving. It is simply to reveal to you the generous heart of our Father and to introduce you to the incredible and counter-cultural life of abundance that he has called you and I to live. Are you all on the same page with me this morning? You all ready to dive into God's word? All right, let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you. I want to thank you just for this time and this space that you have so generously given to us, Lord. Lord, I want to ask on behalf of my brothers and sisters that are gathered here today, would, would you speak to us through your word? Would you reveal to us more of your heart of generosity? Would you reveal to us more of your will for our lives? Holy Spirit, we invite you. Would you make a way so that this word might penetrate deep into the hearts of your people? that you would compel us to live these abundantly generous lives we were created to live. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, as I mentioned just a moment ago, there are plenty of options when we look at scripture for how to address this topic of generosity. And as I was thinking about this and praying on it, I thought out of the 2,500 or so options, well, the best place to probably start is with the words of Jesus. After all, generosity, giving, money. It was a favorite topic of Jesus as well. In fact, if you look at his parables, you'll see that over 40% of the parables that Jesus told, they centered around this topic. And it's not because he needed any. Right? In fact, if you look at all those parables, all of his teaching, Jesus never asked for anything from anyone. So why was it such an important topic for Jesus? Why did he spend so much time talking about it? Well, here's why I think it is. Because Jesus knew that by addressing people's money, by addressing their material possessions, it would give him a direct line straight through to their heart. He knew that if he were to hone in on this one critical area, he could speak directly to what they truly cared about, to, to who they, were, they, 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 they truly loved, and to which kingdom they were truly living for. You know, we just came out of this kingdom culture series, and I thought, what a, what a great tee up for us, because... Man, we've got a, a whole room full of people that want to live by kingdom culture. And yet we've yet to address this topic of generosity. How does that fit into kingdom-focused lives? See, here's the thing is, oftentimes, where you put your money is the best indicator of where your heart, your focus, and your loyalty lie, family. If you want to live by this kingdom culture, if you want to truly pursue Jesus with your entire life, then we have to address this topic. We have to hit it head on and we have to be open to whatever sort of exposure, whatever sort of conviction, maybe whatever sort of sacrifice may come as a result of it. 
So with that in mind, now that I've primed the pump for you a little bit, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, where we're going to find Jesus in the middle of one of his most famous sermons, which happens to be focused specifically on the kingdom of God. How do we live as kingdom-minded people here and now? Look with me, if you would, at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We're going to read verses 19 all the way through verse 33. Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth or rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about the body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So hopefully you can tell by this entire scripture passage that Jesus is talking about much more than just money. Instead, what he's, use, he's doing is he's, he's using money as a means by which to address this tendency that we have to doubt in the Lord's provision. It's this tendency each of us have to doubt in the Lord's provision. That's what's ultimately at the heart of this passage. It's not about our love of money, right? It's about our tendency to, to store up treasures for ourselves, to hoard what we have, because deep down there is a part of each of us that just doesn't trust that the Lord will ultimately provide what we need. And it's not like this is something new to us. It wasn't even new to those in Jesus' day. This has been happening since the beginning of time. Right? Ever since Adam and Eve looked past everything that the Lord gave them, looked past his, his lavish provision and chose to, to go after and to desire the one thing he told them they couldn't have, we've been struggling with this same temptation. Where we feel like we've got to supply for our own needs, we've got to fend for ourselves rather than living in this state of joyful trust that we've been designed to live in. We choose anxious doubt rather than joyful trust. And what happens, family, when we are not living in this state of joyful trust is that generosity becomes an impossibility. When we are not living in a state of joyful trust in the Lord, then generosity, it becomes an impossibility. 
That's why Jesus sets out here in the Sermon on the Mount to reveal to us and to remind us the generous heart of the Father so that we might come to this place of joyful trust and then reflect that same generous heart toward others. So that's what Jesus is after here in Matthew chapter 6. So with that in mind, what I want to do with the rest of our time, I want to break down this passage a little bit further. And what I want to do is actually just pull out three simple questions this morning. If you're taking notes, these are three simple questions you can write down, you can pray and meditate over this week. And the first one is this, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? This should be the easiest question of all to answer. Jesus gives us the way to find it right here, right? He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So there's a direct line from where you put your money to what you care about most. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but you can actually just pull up your credit card statement on your phone or your bank statement, and you can see pretty clearly the things you care about most. You can do that later if you want. I'm not going to ask you to do that right now with your neighbor sitting next to you. But the reality is it'll show you a lot. It is an eye-opening exercise. You simply follow your treasure, and there you will find your heart. So family, where is your treasure? Are you placing it in fleeting earthly things or are you investing it in things that are bringing about an eternal reward? You know, one of my favorite pictures of this, it, it comes from the old uh, ancient Egyptian pharaohs. I don't know how many of you know this, but when the, the Egyptian pharaohs would be buried, they had this belief that they could take all of their treasures and things with them into the afterlife. And so when they would bury them in the pyramids or wherever, they would, they would surround them with all of their earthly treasures. We're talking millions and millions of dollars surrounding their rotting corpse. It's kind of ridiculous when you think about it. It kind of, kind of hurts a little bit, right? What a, what a waste of all that treasure. And yet so many people still live that way today. In fact, I'd be willing to argue that we are living much, much worse than even those Egyptian pharaohs do because for most of us, most of our society, we don't even wait until we're dead and gone to start storing up our treasures. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are self-storage complexes that are popping up all over Central Texas. Anybody else seen these? Any new building is either a car wash or a self-storage complex, right? But as I kind of looked into this, I realized this is really an epidemic in our country. There are over 50,000 self-storage complexes in the U.S. There is enough self-storage space for every man, woman, and child to have seven square feet of self-storage to themselves. Right? Out of our excess, we have turned the self-storage business into a $38 billion industry. That's eye-opening, isn't it? And how much of this stuff do we actually need? I could tell you that 150,000 or more of these units, they go abandoned each and every year. Maybe the most embarrassing thing of all is we make TV shows about it and people actually watch them. Not going to lie, Storage Wars is actually a pretty good show. But I think what this goes to show us is that nothing's really changed in thousands of years. We are still storing up treasures as if we can take them with us when we go. But God's word is clear that we came into this life empty-handed. We are going to leave it empty-handed. The only option we have, as Jesus tells us, is to send our treasure ahead. Can't take it with us when we go, but we can certainly send it ahead by making an investment in things that have an eternal impact. And I love that, that, that the word of God, it shows us examples of that. I don't know how many of you guys know about this guy named Theophilus. 
He's the one that, that bankrolled uh, the author Luke to write the gospel of Luke in the book of Acts. Man, he stored up treasure in heaven and we are benefiting because of it. Or Phoebe. I don't know how many know there's a Phoebe in the Bible, but she helped to bankroll some of Paul's missionary journeys. Because she was willing to store up treasure in heaven. Man, the gospel was shared throughout the world. I think this might be what the reformer Martin Luther was speaking to when he said this. He said, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. So where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? That's question number one. Question number two this morning is what is your focus? What is your focus? Look back at verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, Jesus is using kind of a popular uh, terminology in that day. So it doesn't quite pack the same punch when he talks about a healthy eye. But, but this idea of a healthy eye is meant to be singularly focused, meant to be undivided, to be optimistic, to have a, a godly view of life. Those with a healthy eye, they were able to see the bigger picture perspective, right? They wouldn't get weighed down by the, by the momentary difficulties. They would see everything that they had as an opportunity to give and to bless others. On the contrary, for, for those who had a bad eye, they could only view life dimly. They were blinded to the spiritual things. And so their money and their possessions, they saw them all as only being for themselves. And so they saw all of life through that lens. Maybe you know somebody in your life where every decision they make, they go back to, to finances. Maybe you, that person, you go back to, can I make this work? How can I afford to live this way? I think Charles Spurgeon summed this up best. He said this, There is no such thing as seeing spiritual things while the soul's windows are fastened up with shutters of worldliness. There's no such thing as seeing spiritual things while the soul's windows are fastened up with shutters of worldliness. So let me ask that question again, family. What is your focus? Are you constantly looking for opportunities and ways that you can give and bless others? Or have your soul's windows been, been fastened up with the shutters of worldliness? I've got good news for you this morning. No matter what your answer is to that question, there are ways for you to fix your focus. There are practical steps that you can take if this is a struggle for you. Let me give you just a few here real quickly. Let me make the, the spiritual practical. Step number one is simply to pray. Now, that should always be our step number one, but especially when it comes to this area, we should pray and ask God to help us to give more generously, right? Seeking his will for our life, seeking his will for what he has given us and asking him to open our eyes to what a radical form of generosity might look like. Step number two would be to chase after contentment, right? To shift your perspective from how much you want to how much you actually need. And I think this is a challenge for us I don't know about y'all, but when you get into a season of your life where maybe you're, you're getting promoted or you're getting a new job and your, your salary increases or your, your, your income increases, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Well, now my standard of living can increase. Now I can get that car. Now I can get that bigger house. Now I can afford to go on those trips. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but why is that our reflex? Why is that our reflex? Rather than choosing to be content, 
You know, when I first started pastoring here at Awaken, I was working bivocationally, and my other job was uh, in fundraising for a Christian humanitarian organization. I remember specifically there was one couple here in Austin who a couple of decades ago, they actually came up, these are their engineers, they're really smart people. They said, here's an equation for how much we think we're going to need to live by. They factored in inflation. They did all that sort of stuff. And they set a ceiling on how much they would keep. And over decades, they got salary increases, promotions, new jobs. Their income kept going up. And their cost of living, it stayed pretty much stagnant. So what went up? Their giving. They set a ceiling on how much they would take in and they chased after contentment rather than chasing after another dollar. So inspired by that couple. And I wonder what would happen if we chased after contentment and stopped asking, how much do I, do I want, but how much do I actually need? So step number one is pray. Step two, chase contentment. And step three, just do it. Just do it. Right, don't wait until God has developed this heart within you. Just, just take him at his word. Right, reverse engineer this treasure principle we've been talking about. Put your money somewhere and watch your heart. I promise you, your heart will follow. So again, if your focus needs some fixing today, man, pray, chase contentment, and just do it. I promise you, your life will be filled with a lot more light. All right, let's get to our third question this morning. If you're taking notes, so far we've asked, what is your treasure? Sorry, where is your treasure? What is your focus our third question this morning, pulled from Jesus' sermon here, is who are you serving? Who are you serving? Look back with me at verse 24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, I heard someone say once that, that money is a great servant, but it makes for a terrible master. Money is a great servant, but it makes for a terrible master. What, what they were getting at is this idea of like, hey, money on its own, it can be a good thing, right? It can be used for good purposes. It can be used to serve our needs. But if we become consumed by it, we'll find ourselves in bondage to the most unrelenting and ruthless master. That's why Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 6.10 that it's not money that's the root of all evil. Right? That's, the, that's the common phrase we think of when we think of that verse Right, that money is the root of all evil. No, it's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Don't get that verse twisted. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. Right, the love of money, it sends us on this never-ending pursuit. So maybe you've heard this quote from John D. Rockefeller. He was, at the time, one of the richest men in the world. And somebody asked him, how much money does it take to man, make a man happy? His answer was, just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. We see this still today in our society, don't we? See celebrities who just can't seem to have enough. Or those top-level executives who work themselves literally to death. It's because money has become their master, and in the end, it leads to their downfall. But it's not just celebrities or these C-level execs that can fall into these, these traps, these temptations. Right? It's anybody who believes that they can split their devotion. Anybody who believes they can serve both God and money. Right? That's why Jesus is so careful to point out here that he can either be Lord of everything in your life or he's Lord of nothing. Let me say that again. Jesus can either be Lord over everything in your life or he is Lord of nothing. Those are the only two options. 
So family, who are you serving? Who have you put on the throne? Who's ruling your life? Is it God or is it money? I want you to actually think about this, to take some time to do some self-introspection because I think for most of us sitting in church, we're like, oh, of course it's God. But let me ask you a few more questions. Which one are you trusting for satisfaction and fulfillment in your life? Is it God or is it money? Which one can you not imagine living your life without? Is it God or is it money? Which one do you spend your your time and your energy and your conversations about? Is it God or is it money? And which one are you willing and ready to sacrifice for? Is it God or is it money? When you look at it this way, I think what some of us, maybe many of us come to realize is that we've made money our God. We've used it to serve ourselves rather than giving it to him. And I get that this might be a painful thing for you to realize. I get that this might bring a lot of heavy conviction, but let me get to the good part. Let me get to the good part because Jesus reminds us that we don't have to live this way. That we weren't designed to live this way. That there is a much better, a much more abundant life that we were prepared and designed to live. See, family, all Jesus is doing up to this point as he brings up these things, as he, as he sort of asks these questions by what he is teaching, is he is diagnosing your spiritual condition. Just like when you go to the doctor and they're asking you questions. Right? Jesus is diagnosing our spiritual condition. He's trying to get to the root of our sin issue. And so now that he has helped you discover where your treasure is, what your focus is, and who it is that you're serving, now he can provide you with the cure for what's been ailing you. This is the good part, family. Now he can help you create this healthy heart of abundance. A heart that gives generously because it trusts in the Lord to provide generously. That's why I wanted to read this whole passage of scripture. Because it's at this last part where Jesus points us to the cure. I don't know if you caught it. I'm not going to read it all over again, but I just want to just call out the encouragement he gives. I think it's six or seven times at the end of this passage. He says, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. But what does that have to do with us being generous? Well, Jesus knows our hearts. He knows what concerns us. He knows what stands between us and this fully generous life that he has called us to live. It's a lack of trust in his provision. Remember, when it comes to this life of generosity, we can choose between anxious doubt or joyful trust. But here's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't leave us to wrestle with this on our own, right? He brings these two incredible examples, the the birds in the air and the lilies in the field. And he tells the people that the same thing I'm telling you now, if God is going to, to care for them the way that he does, why would we doubt that he's going to care and provide for us? Jesus' command to not worry, it's not just some some soft line from a Bob Marley song. It is so much more than that. Because here's the thing, family. This command not to worry, this command not to be anxious, it actually comes with a promise. Matthew 6, 33, Jesus promises us that if we seek first his kingdom, if we seek first his righteousness, then all these things, 
everything we need will be given to us. Not everything we want, but everything that we need. I'm going to invite the band back up now. And as I do, I want to I help make this more practical for you. I want to give you a couple simple steps you can take to more tangibly put your trust in the Lord this morning. Here's the first step. It would be to tithe your treasure. To tithe your treasure. Now I know there are some of you who are probably already doing this. But for those of you who aren't, this is where you set aside a portion of your income. And you make a very intentional decision before you do anything else with your money to put your trust in the Lord and to give towards His work to give towards his church, to give towards his mission. And I use the word tithe here actually somewhat loosely because a literal tithe means 10%, but I would actually argue that both the Old and New Testament show us that, that what we're called to give to the Lord is actually much, much higher than that. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks here in our sermon series. But the giving of your tithe or what some might call the first fruits, it's less about the dollar amount. It's more about the, the discipline and the devotion it takes to put God first with your money. So tithe your treasure, but don't stop there. Remember, Jesus didn't ever lower the bar spiritually. He came to raise the bar spiritually. So I want to encourage you, would you pray for vision? Pray for vision. Ask the Lord what radical generosity looks like in your life. Maybe that's going above and beyond your, your tithe or your normal offering. Maybe it's, maybe it's going outside of, of finances and giving freely out of, out of your time or giving freely out of what God has blessed you with, with your, your possessions. Would you go to the Lord? Would you ask him to reveal what his vision is for your life when it comes to generosity? And lastly, no matter what you do, would you glorify God in your giving? I love what Randy Alcorn says in his book. It's a great book called The Treasure Principle. He says this, the act of giving is a vivid reminder that it's all about God and not about us. It's saying, I am not the point. He is the point. He does not exist for me. I exist for him. God's money has a higher purpose than my affluence. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. Giving affirms Christ's lordship. It dethrones me and exalts him. Family, when we give, when we choose to be abundantly generous, we exalt Christ. So listen, I'm not going not gonna to end this message the way you think I might. We're not going to invite the ushers to come back forward and to pass the buckets and to ask you to give. Instead, I want to invite you to come and take. I think ultimately our generosity has to be rooted in this place of gratitude for what we have received. So what better way to respond to a message on generosity than to be reminded of what Christ did for us? My hope for this church is that we wouldn't hear a message like this and be inspired towards behavior modification. It's not what we're after. That's not what God's after. We are after transformation. Because our God is a God of transformation. Because he sent his son to die on the cross and to raise, rise from the grave, we now have access to eternal life. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And as you come forward, as you take of the elements of Christ's body, which was broken for you, and his blood, which was shed for you, I pray 
that God would stir in your heart, reminding you of how generous he's been to you, and that you would freely give from that place of generosity. Would you pray with me? Father, we are simply overwhelmed this morning, overwhelmed with gratitude, Lord, for who you are, that you would love us so much, Lord, that you would send your son to die for us. Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life made possible through Christ's death and his resurrection. I pray, Lord, that we would use this time to respond now. May you speak to us as we come to the table that you would remind us of the cost of our salvation, that you would awaken our hearts to give freely out of what we have been given. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.